Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 86. My name is Christopher Luff. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with the one and only Matt Bromley about some cutting-edge intel coming out of the Lima Charlie Community Slack channel. Another week, another set of bad actors, malicious files, and compromised systems. We're back once again to talk about some of the cutting-edge intel being shared by our awesome community in the Lima Charlie Slack channel, and a huge thank you to all those folks who take the time to share their knowledge with the rest of us. If you enjoy listening in on these Intel chats and aren't in our community Slack channel yet, then you should join the conversation. Much more information than we can get through on the show is being shared there, and you will get it in real time. You can join the Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. And as always, for these chats, I'm joined by the one and only Matt Bromley. How are you doing today, Matt? Hey, Chris, doing well. It's December 20th. I'm getting ready for the holidays. I think everyone's starting to settle in. Uh, get ready for, I guess, what is typically for those of us in North America, a little bit of a colder celebration. But for those folks in the Southern Hemisphere, I guess the weather's just ramping up. I uh, keep seeing social media posts about people going out and surfing and doing all kinds of stuff. And not going to lie, I'm a little bit envious of that, but nonetheless doing well and uh, getting ready for the holiday season. Yeah, it's actually a little warmer than normal up here. I'm on the West Coast of Canada and my lettuce is still growing in the garden. So um, one of the upsides of climate change, I, I guess. There we go. Fresh produce year-round. That's right. All right. Before we get going, I just want to thank anybody who is listening that took part in the Cybersecurity Cares Telethon fundraising effort this year. We ran our all-day live stream telethon on Friday, December 15th, and by the end of the day, we had raised $28,282 USD in support of Becky's Fund, a national nonprofit working to end domestic violence through education, advocacy, and service. So bravo, everybody. If you didn't get a chance to donate and want to help us get to $30,000, we're so close. I'm going to leave the donation portal up until New Year's. You can help in the fight against domestic violence, get your tax receipt, and help us take this thing over the top. You can donate at cybersecurity-cares.com. That's cybersecurity-cares.com. All right, let's get to it. The first one coming to us from Sonar Source, who are reporting on a few vulnerabilities they have found in PFSense. After performing some scans, the researchers discovered two cross-site scripting vulnerabilities and a command injection vulnerability in PFSense CE, and I believe that stands for Community Edition. In combination, these security vulnerabilities allow an attacker to execute arbitrary commands on a PFSense appliance. Potential attackers could have used the discovered vulnerabilities to spy on traffic or attack services inside the local network. For those that may not be familiar, PFSense is a popular open-source firewall solution by NetGate, it is sold as PFSense Plus and is installed on ready-made firewall appliances to protect and manage office networks, and it's also distributed for free as the PFSense Community Edition. It is a very popular tool, with the RPFSense subreddit having more than 100,000 community members, which lends credibility to its tagline, the world's most trusted open-source network solution. Basically, an attacker can trick an authenticated PFSense user into clicking on a maliciously crafted link, containing a cross-site scripting payload that exploits the command injection vulnerability. The victim user does need to be an admin user or at least have access to specific subsections of the PFSense web GUI. So at least there's that. The vulnerabilities came in the form of CVE-2023-42325 and 42327 and 42326. Uh, they've been patched as a PFSense CR 2.7.1 and PFSense plus 23.09. It's always a little bit unnerving when we see vulnerabilities like this in such a widely used product. However, it seems like they caught this one in the lab. 
Is that a safe assumption, or can we assume that if these researchers found it, it's already in the hands of threat actors? Yeah, Chris, valid question there. Uh, first off, you know, I read through this article, and I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm glad that this is reported. However, I will contend and say that this article was written very much as a look what our product can do kind of a thing, not so much as a, hey, we found this thing running in the wild or something like that. Uh, however, I think you asked the right question, which is, you know, is it possible that this thing is out there and has been exploited? Um, I absolutely, you know, it's possible, right? It's very, very possible that this is being taken advantage of out there. Uh, I would say the target pool for folks running PF Sense and then the filtered down population of users who qualify for these particular types of exploits or these CVEs is, is probably a lot smaller than the target pool of folks who are running, you know, vulnerable Fortinets or uh, Cisco's or, or uh, Citrix servers or other types of products and vendors that you and I have talked about on this podcast before. Um, so I would I would say that the scope or the potential impact here might be less. Uh, again, it depends on kind of what a threat actor or what an adversary is going to do with this type of vulnerability if it is been exploited out there. That's not to say PFSense isn't being used at any sort of scale. I'm assuming it probably is. However, I, I think, you know, the, the you, I don't think we're going to see like a massive kind of mass exploitation like we do with other type of commercial products and things like that. But that being said, uh, you know, if you do utilize PFSense and you, and you listen to this or, or you've caught wind of these CVEs, definitely update and upgrade, uh, get to the latest versions. They don't go too much into detections in the article other than simply saying, here's some patches and uh, here's kind of what the patches do. I'd argue if you wanted to see if you'd been hit by this before that, uh, you know, go and see what the particular exploits do and you can run through your logs and that kind of stuff to see if they show up in there. Uh, however, where this perhaps gets a little more tricky is the timeline here. Uh, this is one where the issues were reported to NetGate about PFSense back in July 2023. The patches were released November 16th, 2023. The blog post came out nearly a month later detailing all of this. So we do have a nice responsible six to seven month disclosure time where they had a chance to patch. There was a month from patch which Chris tells me that there's likely less of a chance that it's been exploited out in the wild. It wasn't rushed to get out there. It wasn't, you know, a, a really quick kind of throw to together hack job or anything like that. This is one that was reported in a, discovered in a lab, reported, um, you know, released on time, really responsible disclosure, testing windows, so on and so forth, which tells me it, it likely was not, but I'll never say 100% not. But regardless... I'm glad it's out there. And if you're a PFSense user, which I myself am, uh, you know, watch out for some of those crafty emails coming through and double check your logs. And as always, patch, patch, patch. And is this maybe another reminder for any of the defenders listening to take all the, you know, threat reports and blog articles they read with a grain of salt? Like a lot of times these people are, it's still good work they're doing. I'm not discrediting that and, and that the effort's important, but you know, like you said at the beginning, it's, it's maybe something that they were able to find in a lab that's a very narrow use case. It gives them something to publish, but maybe not something we have to lose any sleep over. Yeah, so I, you bring up a really good point. I think there's a fine line to walk there, but it, the advice I would give to defenders when they go through and read these is watch out for... So in this case right here, and, and let's give Sonar credit because they did discover this. They did a really good job around this, but they went through and discovered this 
by scanning and looking at open source projects and then assessing the results. So they did this to show off and demonstrate what they can do. And as a result of what they did, the, the community benefited. Um, and it is available for free to use. And I'm not kind of, you know, offering that product to anybody, nor am I endorsing it. But I'm more along just saying, like, there wasn't really a malicious, haha, if you want to know about this thing, you need to pay or whatnot, right? Which is the first red flag I would throw up for anybody is when you have kind of a threat report and the 80% the teaser and then the 20% meat that you want is actually like wrapped around a product demo or something like that. Obviously, take it with a grain of salt, number one. Number two, if the article you're reading is from a direct competitor to the thing that's being called out, and this is no one's fault, there's going to be inherent bias in what they write. And I want you to read and be very careful about how that inherent bias gets represented and then kind of, you know, going going that route. Um, I would say this is a very neutral article that, you know, the second paragraph does go right into here's what we do and here's how we discover it and here's why you should use us. But once they get into the technical details, it's actually a really good discussion of kind of what the possibility is here. They go through and put together graphs. They don't call out PFSense as, you know, being a non-viable product or anything like that. They go through and they simply say, hey, our platform has the ability to discover these things and here's what we discovered. And here's a technical breakdown of what it is and how it works, which I think is really the kicker to make this a legitimate, valid, you know, product demonstration slash technical release. Uh, the other thing that I'll offer here, Chris, which I think is something important for folks to get into when they read these and whether they're considering the validity of these sources is the timeline. One of the reasons I focus on the timeline is, again, if they discovered all of this on December 10th, and then they blogged on December 11th and were kind of like, yeah, we found this thing. Everyone check this out, right? They're making it un unsafe. And you and I have gone down the road many times of when a POC code snippet or script or whatever gets released into the wild. It's just a matter of time before an adversary gets a hold of it. In this case here, you know, they found something in July 2023. They could have come out the next day and been like, look how awesome our product is because we found all of these things. They didn't. They sat and they waited for a responsible disclosure period of time so that the patches could get out and be applied. And there's a almost a 30-day window for those patches to have been downloaded and applied as well. I, I, I got to say, this is the right way to do it. If I'm going to discuss another product or tool or something to demonstrate the validity of what I can do, going about it this way is the perfect way to say to defenders, this is how you, this is how you do that. This is how you go about doing that without causing harm or bias towards any users of that particular product. But a solid question, something that anyone should keep in mind when they're reading these is, am I reading someone's flame piece or am I reading a good technical breakdown here? And I'm happy to say, I, for me, this falls into the latter. Awesome. Okay, well, shout out to Sonar Source for doing it right and showing us how it's done. I love to read about stuff like this next one, eCentire's Threat Response Unit, or True TRU led by researchers Joe Stewart and Keegan Keplinger, have been channeling their inner Batman and launched a multi-pronged offensive against the Gootloader Initial Access as a service operation. The Gootloader operation is an expansive cybercrime business which has been active since 2018. For the past 15 months, the Gootloader operator has been launching ongoing attacks targeting legal professionals working for both law firms and corporate legal departments in the US, Canada, UK, and Australia. Between January and March 2023, True, or TRU, shut down Gootloader's attacks against 12 different organizations, seven of which were law firms. Brilliant. 
While Gootloader might not be a household name like many ransomware threats, the Gootloader operation is compromising organizations across the globe and selling this access to ransomware threat actors and other cyber criminals. Since Gootloader is a gateway to hands-on intrusions, hackers use it to get a foothold in an organization's IT environment and then spread laterally through the organization's network to seed out ransomware or to exfiltrate data. As mentioned, the Gootloader operation is targeting law firms and law professionals because that's where they can find the most sensitive data that most people want kept confidential. It is the kind of data that can damage reputations, compromise business deals, expose protected witnesses, and undermine an organization's legal case. And to this end, CISA has named it the top malware strain of 2021. The threat actors use SEO poisoning to lure unsuspecting victims to an enormous array of compromised WordPress websites. Think about a lawyer doing a Google search to find some kind of downloadable template that will help them in their job. Definitely easy for a cybersecurity civilian to get caught in something like this. What do you think about taking the fight to the bad guys, Matt? Sitting around waiting to react doesn't seem to be working for us, and I just love reading about stuff like this. Yeah, Chris, I'm in the exact same boat. I like I like reading about, you know, the threat response unit and folks who are like, forget this. Here's everything you need to know how to defend yourself against this, right? I, I absolutely kind of love this approach here. Uh, first off, hats off to the folks over at eCentire. This is a lengthy, technical, really good breakdown of a blog post that was consu- easily consumed by anyone who I think is looking out for this or, or concerned about this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I I think they called everything out correctly, right? Here's the particular threat that this thing poses. Here's this, here's that. Uh, when we want to go down and shut this down even further, you know, I will continue to give vendor or product credit here, you know, where uh, in this case, we're looking at instances where a particular vendor does a thing and they have a choice. Do we wrap this behind a paywall or a demo or a free thing? Or do we offer it out to the community? And here we go. They go down the road of offering IOCs, how to defend yourself, active defense, what it looks like. Here's things to take. And Chris, I, I would imagine there's probably been a little bit of well-warranted frustration, but well-warranted frustration that says, we're getting tired of seeing these threat actors find success and here's ways to go through and shut it down. Admittedly, at the very end, there is a line which is like, hey, you should partner with us if you don't have this thing. But it is pages of insight before that. So hats off to this team here. I love seeing this type of thing. Um, I will also give credit to the uh, exact same, you know, TRU team here, the the true, we're, we're both going to pronounce it true just to see what happens here. But I will give credit to the true team. This is not the first time they've done this. Um, they've gone through and shut down gootloader attacks previously in the year 2023. Uh, they went and, and, you know, did and, and protected law firms that were being impacted by this. So Hats off to this team who's kind of like, you know what? It's not just the cases we get hired for. Here are things that you can do to protect yourself. We're going to make this public. We really want to put a dent in these guys' game plan. I love seeing it. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a recent interview I did with John DiMaggio, who I think works for Analyst One, and he uh, had infiltrated some cybercrime forums. Uh, He created a bunch of sock puppet accounts and sort of infiltrated these groups, gained some credibility, and, and really kind of disrupted some of these groups Uh, activities. And I just love the idea of going and taking the fight to the bad guys. It might not be economically viable for a company to sponsor something like that, but uh, I think it's a really interesting tactic that I'd love to see more of. Agreed. More Batman style stuff. Let's just go after the bad guys and bring the fight to them. That's right. I love it. Now, I'll be clear, Chris, let's offer one disclaimer for everybody here. Uh, If you can't go about protecting your own network first, that might not be the time to step out 
and uh, go on the active defense side of things or the active offense side of things, uh, please shore up your own security first and whatnot. But if any of you work at any like threat intel firms, consultancies or anything like that, where you've got a chance to take an offensive stance uh, and you can do so safely, by all means, go after and do it. But I'll just offer some career or not career, but maybe professional or historical retrospective advice here. When you go out and do that and you call out a particular group, you do shift the crosshairs for a little bit of time. I know when major threat reports are dropped, threat actors are announced or released for the first time, groups are promoted, techniques are disclosed, whatever it might be. Anything that upsets what a threat actor might be doing, especially at a big scale, uh, you may suffer the victim uh, or you may become a target for that particular threat actor. So for those of you who are hearing this and are like, I want to become Batman too, uh, just make sure you've got your own resources shored up because adversaries love, absolutely love saying, hey, these are the ones who were going to shut us down. And now they're the ones falling victim. So we don't want to have a little bit of hubris turn around there. Yeah. And I think it's also important to remind people that, you know, there's lines that you shouldn't cross and hacking a bad guy's computer is still illegally accessing another computer. So you want to be careful of how you go about anything like that. And I definitely would take Matt's advice in, in making sure you're shored up before you even think about putting on the Batman suit. That's right. Be careful. Remember, even Batman, per all the comics and movies, was himself a criminal. He was just, you know, one that they kind of gave a pass to. But uh, unfortunately, that's not how things work. Yeah. All right. Uh, in the next one, ESET researchers documented a series of new oil rig downloaders, all relying on legitimate cloud service providers for command and control communications. And if it's not clear to anybody, because it took me a minute, Oil Rig in this context is an Iranian state-sponsored cyber espionage group that has been active since at least 2014. The group is highly prolific, having carried out multiple campaigns in the chemical, energy, financial, and telecommunications sectors across the Middle East, primarily in Israel. The researchers analyzed a growing list of downloaders that the group has used in several campaigns throughout 2022, all of which are used to maintain access to target organizations of special interests inside of Israel. These lightweight downloaders, which the ESET team named Sample Check 5000, Oil Check, OD Agent, and Oil Boosterm, are notable for using one of several legitimate cloud service APIs to command and control for command and control communication and data exfiltration. These services were Microsoft Graph, OneDrive, or Outlook APIs, and the Microsoft Office Exchange Web Services API. In all cases, the downloaders use a shared oil rig operated account to exchange messages with the oil rig operators. The same account is typically shared by multiple victims. The downloaders access this account to download commands and additional payloads staged by the operators, and then to upload command output and staged files. The use of legitimate cloud services for C2 communication as well as data exfiltration are called out in this article. I'm assuming this choice of infrastructure was made in an attempt to blend into the background and avoid detection. OneDrive traffic is not going to stand out to defenders at an org that uses OneDrive. Is there any approaches or techniques that defenders can use to help find malicious traffic using the same services as legitimate ones? Or when confronted with something like this, do we just hope that we catch some indicators elsewhere? Yeah, Chris, I, I think this is a good example where... We've got to remember, or I should say defenders need to remember that they might not be able to detect every single stage of an attack. Now, let me just preface before anyone throws their, uh, you know, their, their headphones down. Um, I'm not saying this stuff is undetectable. I'm just saying for certain organizations, their win 
is not going to be at trying to decipher C2 communications or, you know, investing in resources to differentiate between legitimate and nefarious OneDrive traffic and stuff like that. I will call out a line that was at the end of this blog post, which I think is one of the most important ones here, right? On par with the rest of Oil Rig's toolset, these downloaders are not particularly sophisticated and are, comma, again, unnecessarily noisy on the system. I would say that's the most important line to summarize this entire thing. They've got a new way to exchange information. And I view this very much as, uh, you know, kind of like uh, imagine a bunch of kids uh, coming up with a secret code word in a classroom. And then halfway through, they change the code word. And then they change the code word again. And then they change the code word again. You're still looking at a room of children yelling at each other, you know? Um, And even though they're speaking maybe in nonsensical language, they're still yelling at each other and still causing all sorts of, you know, noise and stuff in the background. But my point being, uh, there's a lot more successful ways to detect these types of threat actors. And uh, the folks at, you know, ESET called it out. I mean, there's some noisy, noisy stuff happening here. Some of the malware that gets dropped, the other communication techniques and mechanisms that happen, uh, the different types of living off the land things that get taken advantage of. I mean, there's a ton of indicators here, a ton of things that I think could be sought after and would make for much better detections as opposed to trying to decipher all of the traffic that goes to graft.microsoft.com or, you know, live.com or whatever it might be. But that being said, uh, if you do have the ability to get in and inspect network traffic, there's a chance for detection opportunities there. But I would say you'd have much more success at different stages of the attack. Obviously, not until the very end. Try and catch as soon as you can earlier. But in some cases, host-based detections are going to be much stronger than network detections. And here's an example of where that might be the case for certain organizations. Yeah, and it sounds like this threat is only something that's going to be concerning defenders who are protecting organizations in the Middle East, particularly Israel. Yeah, Chris, that's another valid point about threat actors like this too, right? Oil rig has been around for for quite a while, uh, and they are an Iranian nexus threat actor for all that we know. And right now, their target crosshairs are definitely aligned on a certain part of the world. Um, however, you know, ESET does call out they've been carrying out campaigns 2018, 2019, a lot of their targets, though, have focused in Middle East area, Lebanon, UAE, um, Israel right now is kind of in the crosshairs and things like that. So I would say that being in a particular region of the world could amplify the type of attention that you're going to pay towards threat actors like this. But I will repeat some of the advice I've given before. Let the adversaries change up their C2 traffic as much as they want, right? I'm going to go the other route and say, well, you're using the exact same host base attack. So I'm just going to detect you there because I'll find you no matter what. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's one for the holidays. Uh, Routers roasting on an open firewall, an investigation on the KV botnet brought to us by the researchers at Lumen. The Black Lotus lab team at Lumen Technologies is tracking a small or home office router botnet that forms a covert data transfer network for advanced threat actors. They named it the KV botnet based on artifacts and the malware left by the authors. The botnet is comprised of two complementary activity clusters, and their analysis reveals that this nexus has been active since at least February 2022. The campaign targets devices at the edge of the network, a segment that has emerged as a soft spot in the defensive array of many enterprises, which has been compounded by the shift to remote work in recent years. The operators of this botnet meticulously implement tradecraft and obfuscation techniques, From July 2022 through February 2023, 
The researchers observed overlap between Netgear ProSafe firewalls acting as relay nodes for networks compromised by a threat group known as Volt Typhoon, which is a state-sponsored actor based in China that typically focuses on espionage and information gathering. Microsoft assesses, and I quote, Volt Typhoon campaign is pursuing development of capabilities that could disrupt critical communications infrastructure between the United States and the Asia region during future crises. In addition to the overlap between Volt Typhoon and the KV botnet, the researchers observed similar techniques used against an internet service provider, two telecommunication firms, and a U.S. territorial government entity based in Guam. This activity took place from August 2022 through May 2023. The conclusion from the researchers here is that the KV botnet is at least in part a subset of Volt Typhoon's operational infrastructure. After reading through the number of devices and infections listed in this article, along with the tieback to Chinese state-sponsored actors laying the groundwork for disrupting critical communications, this one gave me a little chill. Is this one as ominous uh, to you as it feels to me, Matt? Yo, Chris, I, I think this is actually something that we as like security professionals and things have run into plenty of times before where you've got this subset of network appliances out there in the world, the Sohos, as they've been referred to in this article here, small office and home office, where you're not dealing, you know, it, it's not cons- it's not enterprise class technology, but it is definitely still capable technology that most likely has a lot of unused cycles. And when I think about, especially in the U.S., how easy it is to get super fast bandwidth and that kind of stuff to your home it's not hard to imagine how this has become a target sector. I'd, I'd say if we go back far enough in time and you look at things like the Mirai botnet and whatnot, it was the exact same approach. Hey, there's all these people using various types of home or, or home office appliances or small office appliances that they aren't wrapping security around. I think the one that makes this a little more uh, interesting and perhaps maybe a little more spine tingling here is the fact that it's likely being used for covert communications as being called out. But, you know, this is not kind of transferring botnet operations back and forth. This is likely an APT going through and using this as a way to mask the source and or destination of their traffic, where they're coming from, and other types of things that, you know, I I don't really like the kind of end result, Chris, which is the sentence of the adversary filtered their traffic through a residence in Missouri in order, you know what I mean? It's like I don't I don't like the idea that uh, that type of end final destination point was a part of an attack like this that took place, you know, so not a fan of of that one. Um, I think this is something where there's going to need to be a bunch of different sectors working together in order to make something happen here. It'll be a combination of patches and things that need to be pushed down from vendors it will be patch and uh, all sorts of update education being sent out to users and home office users and small office users. It's going to take an actual effort to get those done. I mean, these are instances where, you know, we might even go a step further and say, hey, like we're going to auto patch some of these things if we can. So in any event, I, uh, I, I think this is one that will likely has popped up before in you know different types of attacks it probably isn't the folks who have been impacted by this might not have even been aware that they were impacted um this is probably one of those things where it all happens in the background and they never know they never they never know, never know what took place until some you know massive threat intel firm or some kind of internet backbone or whatever here uh lumen calls you know refers to themselves as having kind of global telemetry and things like that this is where that type of visibility is necessary to see just how big and bad this problem might be. 
Um, but nonetheless, Chris, the part of this article that caught me the most, or at least the one that I found to be the most interesting, was the part where they called out, and I'm looking through the article here to, to kind of catch this out here, where they talked about how, you know, this stuff's been around for a little bit, uh, been around for a little while, right? Been around since, I think, 2022. They've been overlapping the Netgear Pro Safe firewalls acting as relay nodes. Uh, they've, you know, definitely seen activity since at least February 2022. But then watch this correlation here, and I quote, one significant correlation to support this is an observed decline in operations in June and July 2023, which coincides with a public disclosure from U.S. government agencies in May 2023, followed by the next paragraph, where they say that the infrastructure was updated and remodeled in November 2023 as a result of all of this. So let's be clear, right? If this was something that the adversaries didn't need or they could afford to burn or lose, they would just do that. However, the fact that they are reacting to threat reports, they are reacting to disclosures and things like that tells me this is a critical piece of their infrastructure and they're going to do everything they can to keep it you know, undetected or minimally detected. And that's what we need to watch out for. All right. Well, that brings us to an end of yet another Intel chat. If you're not on the Lima Charlie Slack channel, you should come join the conversation. That's at slack.limacharlie.io. And as always, Matt, thank you for bringing your deep expertise to these conversations. Your observations are your observations are invaluable. And uh, I hope you have a good holiday break. Likewise to you too, Chris. I'll see you in the next one. All right, sir. Take care. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie Community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.